And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Almendorf. On the phone line with us today is Dr. Paul Kangor from Grove City College. And uh, Paul, it's wonderful to have you on with us today. It's always good to be with you, Dan. Good to be back. Thanks. You uh, wrote an article not long ago for the American Spectator. It was titled, A Further Perspective, Amy versus the Anti-Birthers, Well-Prepped to Hate Her So. Can you describe a little bit what was on your mind as you started to pen this article? Yeah, well, I was inspired, Dan, I guess, you know, inspired me, <laughs> maybe is a good word, <laughs> by, by the very uninspiring words of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who ironically is so inspiring to, to progressives, secular progressives. But she gave an interview to the New York Times Magazine, July 7th, 2009, and the article is titled The Place of Women on the Court. And she said there, and I, and I wish everybody would know this and remember this and their remembrances of RBG, you know, the notorious RBG. Sure. This ought to make her more notorious, frankly. And she said in that interview, she said, frankly, I had thought that at the time that Roe was decided, that is Roe v. Wade, there was concern about population growth and particularly growth in populations that we don't want to have too many of. Wow. So the Roe was then going to be set up for Medicaid funding for abortion. And yeah, Wow is right. She actually, she actually said that. She did. She actually said it. And the, you know, the New York Times interviewer, uh, you know, this is very typical of the liberal media, rather than following up and saying, uh, Justice Ginsburg, who, who are these populations? That you don't want too many of, right? You know, that you want to set Medicaid funding. Uh, you know, Medicaid is for poor people that you presumably want to get rid of through abortion. I, I, I you know, Justice Ginsburg, isn't this kind of classic sort of uh, eugenics? That's right. You know, race improvement, race, racial eugenics. But, but no, no question was asked because they, you know, they didn't want to get her in trouble. And frankly, the New York Times probably agrees with that, or at least knows that that's a very common thing among secular progressives that, that they've defended since the time of Margaret Sanger. And so they let her go. She got a pass, never brought up again. No one talks about it. The few people that remember it are people like me. And if, um, you know, if Donald Trump stood up there in the debate stage with Joe Biden and said, uh, you yeah, know, I thought, I thought when Roe was decided, it was, you know, for the, for, for, you know, to stop the populations that we don't want to have too many of. Yes. You know, the media would be screaming bloody murder. But, yeah, but they RBG really would. gets away with it. Yeah. Yeah. Now, do you, do you think that RGB was representative, therefore, of, of some, maybe even many on the left? Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, no question about it. Yeah. And, and I, and I mean, again, this, this goes back to Margaret Sanger. And I've talked in this show before about how she spoke to the Silver Lake, New Jersey women's chapter of the KKK in May 1926. We know that because she writes about it in her memoirs, pages 366 to 367, 1938 memoirs, yeah, published by Houghton Mifflin. That's right. Uh, yeah, I, I know the page numbers and everything because we, we read it every spring semester in my 20th century class. <laughs> because uh, <you> know, <laughs> This is terrible. Yeah, talking about that, that history. And you know, she she taught she had the vision of race improvement, you know, purging the population of imbeciles, idiots, as she said, morons. And she said the most urgent problem today is how to limit and discourage the over fertility 
of the mentally and physically defective. Mm. And her, her classic landmark book, published in 1922, The Pivot of Civilization, which, frankly, Dan, is, I probably put in my top ten list of among the ten worst books ever written. It's uh, just a terrible, terrible book. And she said in there, this is a direct quote, every feeble-minded girl or woman of the hereditary type, especially of the moron class, she actually had a moron class. Really? Should be, yep, yep. Should be segregated during the reproductive period. Otherwise, she is almost certain to bear imbecile children, who in turn are just as certain to breed other defectives. Well, well, so how? The, yeah. How is this yeah. different from the Nazis and the superior race? Well, it's 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 the same mentality in terms of. What, what what they defined as race improvement, refining mm. the species. Right? Now, you know, a major difference obviously with Sanger and other kind of twentieth century American progressives in this vision and Hitler is that Hitler wanted to eliminate people after they were born. Mm. Right? Um okay. the, the crippled, the um you know, the, the mentally disabled, gotcha. physically disabled Elderly people, the the uh, people like Margaret Sanger wanted to do it through birth control, mm-hmm. and you know, Hitler would have done it through birth control too. But but Hitler went way way further, farther, of course, and and did it with people after they were born. But but she 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 supported segregation and sterilization. Sanger did, and and she wrote in the Pivot of Civilization. Segregation carried out for one or two generations would give us only partial control of the problem. We prefer the policy of immediate sterilization, of making sure that parenthood is absolutely prohibited to the feeble-minded. And very much like like, like, uh, RBG with the Medicaid funding of abortion example, she advocated that, quote, hundreds of millions of dollars be made available for the care and segregation of men, women, and children who never should have been born. Wow. Never should have been born. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that, that's the founder of Planned Parenthood. And, and Planned Parenthood is, I mean, you know, their, their hero is RBG. Yes. And, and they are going, right now, they are adamant about stopping Amy Coney Barrett. And that's why I wrote this, this piece, Amy versus the Anti-Birthers. Because Amy Coney Barrett, with seven children, one of which is a Down syndrome child, right. two of which are adopted, you know, that, you know, that, that's the very kind of attitude, uh, you know, pro-birth attitude, that, that these people fought against. Yes. And, and yet RBG and Sanger are upheld by, by people on the left as, as the great ones. Yeah. You know, the, 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 the heroes, the inspiring ones. and. And Amy Coney Barrett is held up as some some sort of a reprobate. Yes, hurting the environment by having too many children. Yeah, it's it's shocking. It's just shocking. Um, I, I think you know when somebody dies, like RGB just passed, and I didn't like her. I didn't agree with one of her policies. However, I was not wishing for her death. Right. Um, I I only wished her the best. I certainly hoped that she would repent of her sins and trust Christ as her Savior and have the law of God start to become some kind of a guideline in moral issues for her. 
Uh, as far as I know, that never happened. But you know, we don't want to we don't want to speak ill of the dead. However, these things are documented, and so we have to at least be adult enough to parse out the good from the bad. And I think that's what you are doing here. Yeah, well, and, and it's been since our conversation. I mean, it, it's been several weeks since she passed. We can certainly have this conversation now, and yes. we, we should have been having it while she was while she was alive. That's right. I, I mean, <laughs> yeah, and and it, and it's something that if you're if you're going to talk about somebody's legacy, this has to be noted. And and on, and on the religion point, I, I must add this, Dan. Um, not only were her court decisions really bad when it when it came to the issue of of unborn human life, yes, uh, RBG was was terrible on religious liberty uh. issues. I, I mean, she was uh, one of her final, I think, notorious decisions was the Bladensburg Cross decision, um, which which was advocating the tearing down or cutting the arms off of the cross. In the in the little town of Bladensburg, Maryland, that had been put up in World War One after World War One, nineteen twenty five, by the Gold Star Mothers, and and you know, the, the 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 moms who wanted to recognize their boys' sacrifice in World War One, that was a seven two decision. R B G voted, uh, she and Sonia Sotomayor voted against the cross, mm. saying that it that it shouldn't be on public property. It was it was a private thing. And as as Justice Alito and others pointed out, I, there, there's memorials like that all over the all over the United States. Well, sure. Alito pointed to several examples of of Moses and 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 the Jewish people in Philadelphia and elsewhere. No one wants to take any of those down. Nobody. But but she did. Yes, she did because she was terrible on religious liberty. And by the way, in those decisions, she was opposed not only by the conservatives on the court, but by Elena Kagan. Hmm. By Stephen Breyer, by the court liberals. So, so you know, wow. liberals are uh, you know, they have a very, uh, I think, ignorant view of RBG. And uh, I mean, she was she was far and away. She's just like the Alexandria Ocasio Cortez of, of of the high court. I mean, she was way to the left of everybody. And I and I, I think if they really fully understood the kind of decisions that she made. I mean, okay, look, woman's life might be inspiring, fine, but, but what we remember her for is, is her decisions on the court. I mean, yes. that, that's what this is all about. Yes. And, and, and those decisions were really bad. I think she was even wrong, I believe, on the eminent domain kilo decision of all things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, 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 so many bad decisions. I, it just, um, I, I, I could go on and on. She's a very, very <laughs> troubling judicial legacy. She really is. Um, now, um, this past week, they've been having hearings with Amy Coney Barrett, and I've heard a lot of good about her. I don't know her, obviously. I don't know anything about her, hardly. But apparently, she has a very good record in deciding cases. Um, can you tell us anything about, potentially, RGB's replacement, ACB, Amy Coney Barrett? Well, she's definitely ACB is definitely the uh, anti uh, RBG. That's that's hmm. for sure. And and it was it was noted that she's kind of a, a female Scalia, uh, Antonin Scalia, who okay. she clerked for. She's a um, a textualist, which means that 
she interprets the Constitution by what it says. Well, how nice. <laughs> not, not, by, not by what people want to read into it. Right, right. And, and you know, this is the thing that, that just drives crazy about, about people on the left is that they want to read into things, things that aren't there. And, and it, it's like changing the rules of the game, right, which we're talking about now doing with court packing. They don't get what they want with justices. Well, they'll just add four more justices, yes, uh, or six more, or, wh- or, or whatever it is. But you know, it's it's kind of what what Andy Coney Barrett, where she's coming from, where I'm coming from, where Anthony Scalia is coming from, and by the way, Justice Robert Bork as well. Is you know the the, the game has rules, and you <laughs> you follow the rules, right? And if and if the constitu- if the Constitution is silent on an issue. Uh, doesn't speak to it, then you say, I'm sorry, but you know, the, the Constitution is silent on this issue. Mm-hmm. This will be up to people to decide through the states or whatever else. And progressives, who, if they don't get their way, well, they're going to, you know, darn it, they're going to read their way into the Constitution. Yes. And you can't do that. It, it's, it's really not fair. <laughs> it's, it's a violation of the rules. And it's a kind of a, 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 a judicial relativism. Mm-hmm. Right, you know, we as Christians talk about moral relativism. This is a kind of textual relativism, where you you come up with your own interpretation, put in whatever you want, and you can't do that because and 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 progressives don't appreciate this. If if conservatives did this with their decisions, <laughs> progressives would be going crazy, right? Yes, and have you have you noticed the word games that the progressives play uh, when? When we talk about court packing, uh, we mean something different than what they accuse us of, of court packing, when we're simply letting the president fulfill his term and appoint a justice and have a hearing and potentially see that justice appointed to the court. Uh, Court packing, however, that we're concerned about is something different. Can you explain that to our listeners? Yeah, and, and look, um, I could see I could see liberals, Democrats being angry at Mitch McConnell, right, for not holding a vote on uh, on on the seat that went to Brett Kavanaugh. Mm-hmm. But uh, but Donald Trump hasn't done anything wrong. He's the president, and it's it's his it's his obligation, his duty, to fill a Supreme Court seat. So so I mean, really, Trump could could probably say. Um, you know, if you guys are angry, you know, blame Mitch McConnell. <laughs> don't 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 blame me. I'm just I'm just doing my job, which is true. Yes. And, and so I mean, you know, Donald Trump's not guilty of any hypocrisy or double standard here at all. His uh, a, a Supreme Court vacancy opened up, and he's trying to fill the seat. Yeah, it's and, that simple. And so yeah, yeah, it's, it's it's that simple. Now, when it comes to court packing. Uh, you can, I mean, there is no prohibition about adding more seats to the court. And right. it doesn't, it's not etched in stone that, it, that it's nine seats, but, but that's, that's been the practice. People have honored that. And by the way, Ruth Bader Ginsburg even said before she died in an interview, she said, I think uh, nine is a good number. Hmm. I would not favor adding more than that. And, and, and here's the big problem. If, if progressives, if liberals, Democrats, if, if they were to add, say, six seats to go to go from from nine to fifteen, then, then what's to stop Republicans when when they get in the White House and they get a right. majority from adding six more? Oh, sure. Right. It, 
and, and then we have a full politicization of the court yes. at that point. And it kind of, kind of like you know, you and I grew up in the Cold War. You have a kind of an, an uh, arms race, yes. right? That continues to escalate, where you add and add and add and add, and pretty soon you got maybe forty people. <laughs> That's right on the court, and and this goes on. So you can't do that. And in truth, conservatives, Republicans probably wouldn't do this because they're not as political with the court as liberals are. Right. And and yes, liberals are more political. And, and uh, in fact, for for your listeners, Dan, the the vote in favor of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, to, um, the nomination of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, that was passed in the Senate. This is off the top of my head. Uh-huh. I think the vote was ninety. I think it was ninety six to three. Really? I think it was ninety. Yeah, I think it was ninety six to three. If I'm off on that, I'm off by. So maybe it was. One. It was hardly politicized at all. None whatsoever. Wow. And, and uh, yeah, I'm from the state of Pennsylvania. I remember Rick Santorum, our senator from Pennsylvania, being here at Grove City College, Grove City TA. Yeah, I, I always kind of liked that guy. Yeah, and one of our students saying to him, "I don't understand. You guys give you guys vote almost unanimously for Democrat presidential <laughs> uh, um, yeah, court nominees." And then yet for our guys, they vote almost all against us. Why don't you do what the liberals do? And and Santorum said, because we're, because honestly, we're more principled than that. And, yes. and we think that our job is that if the president is duly elected, it's the president's job to appoint uh, justices. And we feel that our job in the Judiciary Committee and the Senate is to review whether or not these appointees have have qualifications um, you know, a respectable or sound temperament, that they're fit for the position, and it's not our job to hold them the ideological, political litmus test. We believe the president should largely get who he wants. That's the real way to do it, Dan. Um, wow. But Democrats don't do that. If you don't, if you don't support them on their political agenda, then they vote against you. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, Kavanaugh was a party line vote. Gorsuch was pretty much a party line vote. You could just you could just look at the differences, beginning with Judge Bork, and and and, and primarily for Democrats, the the issue since the eighties has been abortion, abortion, abortion. Yes. that's that's what this is really about. You know that that is their as Nancy Pelosi said. You know Roe v. Wade. That is sacred ground. For me, that is sacred right, ground. Right, 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 and and this is this is very important ground for the Christian because um, we see men and women as created in the image of God and having a fundamental worth, even when they're in the womb, uh, they have the same worth, and they are. Um, God wants them to to go to full term and to be born. Uh, that that's the will of God, uh, and so um, you know, murder happens. Murder happens when people are out on the street. Murder also happens in the womb, and what a what a terrible thing! Sometimes I can't believe we have this Holocaust going on in America, where the most innocent among us is ripped, torn limb by limb, and th- essentially thrown into the garbage pail. Well, and, and Dan, I'll circle back to the beginning of our conversation, because as Christians, 
we believe that all human beings are made in the Omago Dei, right? The image of yes. God. But if you if you if your heroes, your heroines, are people like Margaret Sanger, who believe that um, that that there are defectives and imbeciles and morons and a moron class, and refers to the dead weight of human waste, and 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 looks at people from a eugenics evolutionary. Um, biological perspective strictly, right? And mm. you're not looking at people as made in the image of God, but as imbeciles and idiots. Then, 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 you know, that, that's a, it, everything else stems from that worldview. And Amy Coney Barrett looks at those children from Haiti who are in orphanages, you know, after, after a natural disaster, or who looks at a child in her womb. Um, you know her her most recent child, I think, mm-hmm. who is Down syndrome, and and she doesn't say, "Oh, here's a defective." No, uh, you know, we, this needs to be aborted. She carries the baby to term, so it's a very different worldview. And this is why you and I tell people all the time, right? Your worldview matters. That's right, and and it does. And and with and with RBG having that populations we don't want to have too many of perspective. That's the same. That's the same view that Margaret Sanger had, and it's um, it's it's very destructive, and it's uh, and and it's it's very anti-Christian as well. Yes. In the last couple minutes remaining, I'm holding a book in my hand that I've yet to read, Doctor Kangor. It's The Devil and Karl Marx, and uh, I w- I would like to have an interview with you on this book sometime in the future. And I'm just running. Oh, I'm I'm running behind here. I'm just swamped. But um, one of the concerns I have, and I, I I suspect you have it too, is that Marxist thinking and theology and influence has crept into the church of all places, and is affecting the thinking of theologians and scholars and pastors and even church folk. Um, am I off base there? I'm concerned. Oh, yeah, no, no, it's true. And and I think, Dan, you'll be really shocked when you read the longest part of that book. I think it's part four. Wait, maybe it's part five. Uh-huh. It's, uh, it's on the infiltration and manipulation of churches. There you go. Um, yeah, by communists in the, in the early 20th century. And wait till you read that. You're going to be really oh, shocked. I'll bet. And, 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 yeah, and there are individual chapters based on separate um, congressional sworn oath testimony by former members of Communist Party USA, Louis Boudin's, Manning Johnson, Bella Dodd, Ben Gitlow, all of them testifying to the very deliberate policy by Communist Party USA, even the Soviet Comintern, of penetrating churches. And, and in particular, so they, they targeted the mainline denominations, United Methodist Church, Episcopal Church, what became Presbyterian Church USA, mm-hmm. and the Catholic Church. And, and of all of those, they had probably their biggest success with the Episcopal Church and the United Methodist Church. Mm. But when, when, you, when you read the accounts, uh, again, under sworn testimony from, from, from these different communists, what they tried to do... It's shocking. It's really shocking, and they, um, you know, they, they didn't take over those churches, but 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 they but they they had um, they had they had a, a very fright they had a very frightening degree of success 
Mm. Well, as soon as you read that, you're gonna you're gonna email me. It's gonna resonate. I can see it. All right, you're it. right. I read this. Okay, <laughs> let's set up an interview. Well, uh, I want to thank you. I know you're tight on time today. Um, we've been talking with Dr. Paul Kangor. He's from Grove City College. And just a couple of uh, last-minute items, uh, Dr. Kangor, if someone wants a copy of your book and or if they eventually want to attend Grove City College, how would they go about doing that? Well, thank you. Yes, so go to Amazon or I guess barnesandnoble.com, just, just Google my name and the devil and Karl Marx. It'll, it'll pop right up. And our website at, for our think tank at Grove City College is called the Institute for Faith and Freedom. So just go to faithandfreedom.com. And for this article we've been talking about today, Amy versus the Antibirthers, that's at the American Spectator. So I'm a regular columnist for the American Spectator, which is spectator.org. Yeah, I've been enjoying that. Uh, I actually signed up for them, and uh, I enjoy your articles uh, whenever you, you put one out. And I've also enjoyed uh, Melissa McKenzie's, uh, the publisher's articles. She s- often sends out an email. So, uh, Right. Good right. job, Dr. Kangor. Uh, my friend, thank you so much for joining us today. Anytime, Dan. You take care. God bless. (laughs) You too. And dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer.